You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today, we're bringing you an episode from Lifeline, offering a holistic wellness approach focused on supporting American law enforcement, promoting resilience, safety, and survivability. Let's hear from Bill Alexander, Executive Director of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, who brings us Behind the Memorial, its history and purpose. I am Bill Alexander, uh, recently appointed as the executive director of the Memorial Pillar of the uh, National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Incredibly humbled and honored to be a part of this organization, which continues every single day to work to honor the fallen and to tell the story of American law enforcement and to make it safer for those who serve. But my segment really is focused on honoring the fallen, honoring the men and women who have given everything in service and sacrifice to their country and their communities. And so just as a sort of brief recap, a high-level overview, it was in 1962 when President Kennedy then designated May 15th as Peace Officers Memorial Day each year. And then the week that followed that date would be National Police Week. So that's the mid-60s. And it wasn't even until the early 80s which um, began to see a loose informal gathering of law enforcement related folks who wanted to honor the fallen. They began to congregate on the South Lawn of the Capitol each year. Again, a a fairly informal loose gathering. And then in the mid eighties, Congress establishes the National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund, which started the process, our ability to collect funds and to design and ultimately build this sacred memorial, which we are sitting on now here today. The memorial is dedicated in October of 91. Then President George H.W. Bush was here to unveil the memorial. memorial. 12,657 names were on the memorial at the start of the unveiling of the memorial, which were read over the course of 24 hours. That's how long it took to read all of the names that were included in that initial push. And then every single year since then, usually in April, the process begins anew, adding newly vetted names to be memorialized on our sacred walls, followed by the annual candlelight vigil, which the beginning years in those early 90s years was here held here at the memorial and has since transitioned to a much larger space to accommodate the tens of thousands of people who now come every single year. And it's held on the National Mall. And so we just concluded our 34th annual candlelight vigil, where we read 619 names newly memorialized on the, our sacred walls. And we're already, we, we are very deep into the process of vetting and recognizing new names that will be added in April of 2023 to be memorialized at the candlelight vigil again in May of next year. So lots of people have questions about, think about, contemplate, what is the process? How does an officer get recognized and honored to be a part of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial? And it is a process. And there is some confusion out there, particularly in regards to a fallen officer, a department suffers a catastrophic event, uh, a death within their ranks, which is incredibly stressful and really impactful for everyone associated with the agency and the community where the officer or officers have fallen. 
And there are a number of agencies, uh, both federal, state, and local, which all try to operate in concert to help support the agency and the families and the coworkers. One of the most notable is uh, PSOB, Police uh, Public Safety Officers Benefits Organization, which is specific and unique to fallen officers. And there is often confusion that if an agency has begun the process through PSOB, that they will automatically be included or that that information will be passed to the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. And unfortunately, that is not the case. All of the various respective agencies, say FOP, say Concerns for Police Survivors, say PSOB, we all have separate and unique criteria in terms of what it is we will or can do for a fallen officer's family and the survivors um, linked to that officer. And we are um, unique and wholly separate from all of those other, other organizations, and we have our own process. Part of the process is the agency or a survivor notifying us, the Memorial Fund, that they are aware of an officer who has fallen in the line of duty, and they believe the officer has fallen as a direct result of his or her duties, and that they are worthy to be included on these very, very sacred walls and to be honored and remembered for all time. So... And then independent of that, sometimes we become aware of an, a fallen officer and we proactively reach out to the agency in question to try to gather information. So it's a it's a little bit of a push and pull. We become aware of officers who have fallen or the agency alerts us. And in both cases, we ask for a number of documents to help support that death and to sort of collect the information that we feel we need to make a determination about whether we view the death as what we would term line of duty. So. Just as an example, we send out an information sheet. We would ask the agency to fill out that information sheet, which has a bunch of information about the specific incident and the officer's involvement. We ask for a copy of the death certificate. We ask for any supporting documentation. We ask for any known media reports that might share light on how and why the officer um, died. And then all of that information is gathered together and then ultimately presented to what we internally refer to as the names committee. The names committee is made up of several board members from the board of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, almost all of whom on this committee are have a background in law enforcement. They are presented each case of every fallen officer that we are aware of and the information, again, that we have gathered, and they view the facts as they have been presented to us in terms of what were the circumstances of the death of the involved officer or officers. And do we view that as a line of duty death? Now, you may be wondering, listener out there, what do we view as a line of duty death? We, as the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, view a line of duty death as any officer who, is, who has died as a direct and proximate result of a personal injury sustained in the line of duty. So that could be something as direct as a felonious assault. Perhaps a subject or subjects fire on a police officer with a firearm and subsequently kill him. It could also be that the officer is engaged in some sort of physical activity and um, suffers a medical event like a heart attack. It could be that the officer or officers contract COVID as a result of their duties. And it could be that the officer sustains um, a serious injury, which results in their death, say, from some sort of traffic collision. All of those would be included in what we would term line of duty. So it's a it's a pretty broad spectrum, but we, again, limit it to situations in which an officer is injured as a result, as a direct result of them being typically on duty and performing some law enforcement function that then leads to them sustaining an injury, that, which then leads to their death. So 
a pretty broad spectrum overview of what we would consider line of duty. And then assuming the names committee concurs that they view that the, the incident in question, a line of duty death, then the name is approved. And then we hold those names to be engraved in the wall each April of every single year. All of the names are engraved together. On the walls, they are engraved in completely random order. Um, they are assigned a panel based on the length of their name and where they would fit best on the walls. And then after the engraving, we, uh, we document those engravings. We transition unique plaques inside the Hall of Remembrance inside the museum to recognize and memorialize all of the officers, including their photographs. And then again, we memorialize all of those names at the annual candlelight vigil held each May 13th, now on the National Mall every single year. So I, I think that's a pretty high overview of sort of what the memorial stands for, our mission in terms of honoring the fallen, how we vet each individual case and how those cases are approved to ultimately be memorialized and honored here in Washington, D.C. So does anyone have any questions, thoughts, additional? Well, I think people might be people might be surprised as to how many folks visit that memorial on a yearly basis, what types of groups and organizations or individuals may come to visit. Uh, I, I think historically people probably identify the memorial, especially folks in law enforcement uh, and agencies that have experienced the line of duty death. They're thinking about uh, the candlelight vigil and police week. But I think it's important for folks to realize that, you know, that that memorial is open year round and people are coming on a sort of a rolling basis to visit. Yeah, Troy, that's a that's a really good point. Given my time here, I, I'm a I'm a local resident. I, I um, worked and lived in Maryland for many years before taking this job. And I, I'm a I'm a frequent visitor to the National Law Enforcement Memorial, particularly each year in the candlelight vigil. But having been here almost every day over the last six months and again, being very privileged and honored to have taken this job, it, it runs a wide gamut of folks all across the nation, really across the world, who take the time to come and visit and honor this very sacred space. There is there is no one segment of society who dominates the uh, memorial grounds out there. While certainly there is a law enforcement centric focus to this, and you can understand why each line of duty death having such a significant impact on that community, there is every single day there is someone out there who is completely unassociated with law enforcement who is taking the time to recognize the service and sacrifice of really too many and recognizing the real cost, the real, very real cost to, to our democracy to make this democracy work in terms of lives lost. And I, I often see it being a very cathartic experience out there, both for survivors and folks who have no direct link to law enforcement, to walk along those sacred pathways out there and just view name after name after name, thousands of names on the walls, all representing that cost in terms of our democracy to keep us and our children and our parents and our our loved ones safe on in, in any given day. So um, it's school groups. It's teachers, it's uh, plumbers unions, it's uh, tourists from around the world. It is law enforcement centric people. It's working class people and everyone in between. All hundreds of thousands of visitors every single year come to the memorial, the memorial which is open 24 seven every single day of the year. The public is more than welcome to come at any time to pay their respects. Once you're on site at the memorial, there are information kiosks at all four corners with very detailed books where you can find any individual officer's name, what panel they're inscribed on. And then also in those information kiosks are 
um, pencils and etching papers whereby you can go and etch one or more names to bring home with you and to memorialize in your own and in any way that um, helps honor that particular officer. So visitors, hundreds of thousands of visitors every single year from all walks of life. And uh, we couldn't be more thankful to to be here to help guide them and offer assistance if and when they need it as they're here. It's really sobering, I think, for attendees to realize that when you look at more than 23,000 names, it's not just names. I mean, these are these are mothers and fathers and sons and daughters, and uh, you, they're, they're your neighbor. I mean, the, there's a story behind every one of those names. There's a story in how they lived, and there's a story in how they died. And I think that for po- folks that come there, even if they're not involved in the law enforcement vocation, to be able to just be immersed in that space and and realize the magnitude of what's going on around you. It's not, you know, I, I think it's, it's easy to think coming from a law enforcement background um, that it was our loss in law enforcement or that it was just the family's loss, but it really is a community loss. It's a nation who lost one of their own, um, you know, really trying to, uh, to do a job that they loved, right? Nobody signed up, nobody signed up to have their name on that wall, but we all knew when we did, that there was a very real possibility that that could happen. I'm a lifelong resident of Washington, D.C., and this this is, if not the only, it is one of the only national memorials that is a living memorial, meaning, as Bill aptly pointed out, we're continuing to add names every year. I think the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which was built uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, is full, and I think they are no longer adding names um, but we just had to add more space onto this memorial because we were running out of room. Um, and if that doesn't bring it home, you know, I don't know what does. But it's 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 certainly, I think, in D.C. and as a national monument, it's the only living memorial in the country. Yeah, Nick, that's a really good point. You know, when they unveiled the memorial in 1991, they believed that they had space for continuing law enforcement names to be added through the end of 2100. And then over the course of the last 30 years, we have outpaced their projections um, by such a degree that we recently added an expansion, as you just alluded to. The expansion was just completed a year and a half or two years ago and has since increased the available space for about an an additional 12,000 names. And even with that space now, now, sitting here today, we believe we will get through the year 2060. So you can see that the number of officers who have died and continue to die each year is increasing over time to the point that our projections in terms of where we might have been for space for future um, officers who we would honor by virtue of their sacrifice has continued to diminish every single year. We're adding more names than we ever thought possible. And one of the most unique aspects of having that memorial on the campus where it is, it's directly across the street from the National Law Enforcement Museum. So you can experience two very, very separate, but I think associated experiences by going from one side to the other. You see you see the work of law enforcement on one side where that where they're really telling the story of how it's done. And then you see the result, uh, the unfortunate result and very sad result uh, that can happen right across the street. Yeah. I think it's very, very sobering to walk from one side to the other. No matter where you start, the juxtaposition of the opposite side serves as a good counterbalance. You know, one, the museum really does tell the story of American law enforcement, what it is to walk in the shoes of a 
and a modern day law enforcement professional in this country. And then directly across the street is a very visible and constant reminder for all of us is exactly what the cost is of that daily protection by law enforcement across our country. And I don't think that we can offer you and your staff enough thanks and appreciation for the way and the manner that that you take care of that that beautiful space. And, uh, you know, as I walk through all the time, it is just it's pristinely kept and it's uh, it's really it's really an honorable place. Well, we have full time staff whose job is to keep that place as clean and pristine as possible. And for any visitors who might want to come, we encourage you to to reach out to the staff. If you have questions, you have comments, you want to just connect with someone, uh, you want to share a story. We love to hear stories from the public and people who are connected to this sacred space and, and find a way to use this sacred space to help heal their own wounds. We would love to hear from them. So please, if you're on site, uh, take the, take a moment, reach out to the staff, ask to, to talk to someone inside the museum. Please come to us and, and share your story because part of our mission is, is to memorialize those stories, to help share them in return so that every single name on these walls is never forgotten. One last thing, Bill, I know you want to you, you want to tell the story because I'm going to make you tell the story. But, I, you know, I always find it very interesting. Uh, and I heard you I heard you reciting this story one time and I said that I never really had thought that much about it. But can you talk a little bit about the lions and what they represent? Because for folks who haven't been there, uh, maybe they maybe they don't understand the concept of why those lions are there. But for those of you who have been there, you've seen those lions and you may or may not understand the story behind what those lions represent and how they're placed. Sure. Well, the the memorial sits on about three acres of federal land. There are walls that stretch on both the east and west sides of the memorial. 64 panels on each set of walls, and each set of walls is 304 feet long. And at the end of each of the walls on both the east and west side is a pair of lions. So there are two male parent lions and two female parent lions. And then opposite them on the shorter wall is a pair of cubs. And again, there is there is two juxtapositions there. One set of cubs is at rest sleeping and the other set of cubs is at play. And so those lions have really come to symbolize the memorial, the ever watchful, ever vigilant, honorable Standing in for law enforcement professionals across the country, those lions symbolize all that is good with American law enforcement and symbolizes them watching over the cubs, which in this instance really represents the American public, watching over the American public as they, they are at work and play, keeping them safe. And so those lions are incredibly important to us. They really do help symbolize everything that is good about law enforcement and the constant vigilance that it requires and the walls represent the sacrifice that, that vigilance requires to keep our country safe. So I just want to thank all those who have taken a few minutes of their time to uh, take a moment to sort of gather the information or or think about the loss of life in terms of law enforcement officers who give their lives each year and recognizing our mission here at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, which is to honor honor those who have fallen in the line of duty. And we cannot thank everyone who supports us enough because it's it's only possible with the support of so many that we are able to continue this mission to honor the men and women who have sacrificed everything 
in service of their country and their community. Thank you. Thanks to Bill for helping us better understand the history, the role, and the processes surrounding the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. Thanks as well to Christopher Mitchell, our manager of digital content and strategy for producing today's episode. And many thanks to you for listening to this episode of Lifeline, a precinct 444 podcast from the National Law Enforcement Museum. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will join us again for more content from Lifeline. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. And we would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to Precinct 444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 East Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the precinct.